Jedi Squadron is a podcast run by the Anime Secrets website. Check us out at AnimeSecrets.org for more anime, video game, tokusatsu, and now Star Wars content. Remember to follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, or wherever you listen to podcasts today. Hello, new Padawans, and welcome to the Jedi Squadron podcast. Here, you will be taking lessons in the many pieces of the Star Wars universe, whether it be the movies, animated series, video games, comics, and etc. This is your training into becoming a Star Wars fan as part of the Jedi Squadron. May your training go well, and may the Force be with you, young Padawans. What is going on, Star Wars Nation, and welcome to the Jedi Squadron podcast presented by AnimeSecrets.org. I am your host, Nathan DeSaw. And today we are taking another cruise through canon where we take a look at the novels of the Star Wars new canon. In this case, uh, the subject for today's uh, cruise will be one of the earlier new canon novels, as well as the very first book of the new canon that I personally read, Heir to the Jedi. Um, you know, uh, I I hadn't read a Star Wars novel in a long time, but uh, then uh, my wife and I, we weren't married at the time. Uh, it was the first year of our relationship, but we had our very first trip to Disney World, and I had so much fun at the uh, Galaxy's Edge that it really just got me excited to get back into Star Wars. Um, and I had this novel that I bought but never really got around to reading, but I immediately jumped into it when we got back. And yeah, it was a very uh, enjoyable experience. Um, but anyway, uh, Heir to the Jedi was written by Kevin Hearn and first published in March of 2015. Um, apparently, uh, this novel was originally intended to be the third and final novel in a trilogy. It was called Empire and Rebellion. Uh, it was basically meant to be three books revolving around the big three characters. Uh, one book revolving around Han's life, one book revolving around Leia's life, and this was going to be the book um, about Luke's life. All of it taking place between uh, A New Hope and The Empire Strikes Back, but then before this book could uh, be written and published... Uh, Disney purchased Star Wars, so they uh, so they pushed it into the new canon. Uh, with that said, let's take a look. As uh, as per usual with my new canon reviews, I'm going to try to keep the spoilers to a minimum, at least until I get to the Easter egg section, because I do want to encourage a lot of people to uh, read a lot of books in the Star Wars new canon. So um, yeah, at least when I'm talking about the uh, plot, there's there might be some minimal spoilers, but I'm going to try not to spoil everything. Anyway, Heir to the Jedi takes place almost immediately after the events of A New Hope and is told from the first-person perspective of Luke Skywalker. Now a full-fledged pilot for the Rebel Alliance, Luke, after failing on a mission to Rhodia, is given a new mission to save a given cryptologist named Drusel Beforin and reunite her with her family in exchange for working with the Rebellion. Accompanied by his faithful astrodroid R2-D2, Luke works with a rebel soldier named Nakari Kellen as they go through a series of RPG-style quests and side missions leading to the culmination of their main task. Along the way, the two develop a very close friendship while Luke tries to take some steps toward learning more about the Force. Heir to the Jedi garners an overall mixed response from the fan base, and it's very easy to see why. Like I just said in the uh, plot description, uh, once Luke gets his mission and meets up with Nakari, uh, the rest of this book plays out like an RPG story. Like, 
before they can go on their mission. They need to upgrade their ship with, you know, a lot of weapons that will help them on this quest. But in order to upgrade the ship, they need to get money from Nakari's father. But in order to get money from Nakari's father, they need to do him a favor. And yeah, you can basically get the point. The plot of this book plays out like an RPG-style story, and honestly, half the time when I was reading this novel, it feels like an RPG-style story. There's some good action parts here and there. There's a handful of cool space battles, especially this one really intense dogfight between Luke and Nakari's space yacht against this cruiser that has an anti-hyperspace uh, gravity well generator. But most of the non-space action is really not that great. And the climax of this novel uh, feels incredibly clumsy. And I don't know, even um, some of the less impressive uh, Star Wars New Canon novels, they at least had a climax that had me at the edge of my seat when it was carried out. But this climax of this book does not really feel intense. I'm not going to spoil what happens, but, uh, you know, there's intense stuff that does happen but it doesn't really feel intense. Uh, the story in action is not this book's strong suit. So, but does that mean that this book is bad? Well, not exactly. There's actually one major thing about this book that, at least in my opinion, makes it worth reading, and that is Luke's character. If you're a fan of Luke Skywalker, and if you're a Star Wars fan, why wouldn't you be a fan of Luke Skywalker? Then there's a lot of captivating elements in this novel that, you know, kind of make it worth reading, in my opinion. This book perfectly portrays Luke in a way that he would naturally be at this point in the Star Wars universe. In fact, I would say that it actually portrays him a lot better than uh, the Legends novel that we reviewed that takes place at this same time in the Star Wars universe. Looking at you, Splinter of the Mind's Eye. <laughs> Um, you know, like I said, this is between A New Hope and The Empire Strikes Back. Luke is still very young, he's clumsy, and he puts on this very confident demeanor, but he's dealing with a lot of, um, you know, a lot of la a huge lack of self-confidence. You know, he has a lot of anxiety over the future because, you know, he doesn't really, there's a lot of uncertainty with uh, his future regarding his Jedi training because, you know, Obi-Wan is dead, so he doesn't really have a true mentor to teach him in the ways of the Force. Uh, we see him attempt to train himself in several minor feats of the Force. You know, we see him once attempt a Jedi mind trick, like the one that he saw Obi-Wan effortlessly perform on a stormtrooper in A New Hope. Uh, he, tried, he does that mainly to impress Nikari, but he fails rather miserably. And... Throughout the novel, he attempts to use the Force to use telekinesis, which he actually does eventually succeed in doing. It, it's actually really great that this book is told from the first-person perspective of Luke Skywalker because it makes it a lot easier for us to feel the emotions that he's going through. Like, when he fails at attempts in the Force, you actually do genuinely feel the disappointment, and when he succeeds you feel a lot of pride. You know, you can feel the pride with him. And that is, that's where the book shines the most, when it takes its time in between the story to just have Luke do his own thing. Our other main character, Nakari Kellen, is a great character as well. She joined the Rebellion after the Empire killed her mother and is a very skilled 
fighter, particularly being an expert with a slug thrower weapon. But what's great is that despite her tragic backstory, she has a very upbeat demeanor, and over time we see her develop a strong friendship with Luke to the point where she has no problem joking around with him. She's a great supporting friend for Luke. You know, she shows genuine uh, moral support for him when he tries again and again to attempt minor feats in the Force. Their friendship feels very genuine, and honestly, uh, you know, I, I really felt the chemistry between the two of them. There's some very subtle hints of romantic attraction, which, you know, is fine, because if you've read a lot of the, uh, you know, Legends novels, you'll know that Luke has, you know, several, uh, you know, major, um, you know, romantic, you know, romances here and there, so, and I really felt the chemistry here. It does make the ending of the spiff all the more tragic, but I'm not going to spoil that for you. Uh, it does make for a very bittersweet yet triumphant ending. It really does feel like they're two very real friends being very real people, you know, poking fun at each other like everyone does with all of our with all their friends. I mean, if you guys watch the uh, Took the Secrets podcast, you'll see Riz, Patrick, Anthony, and I always take friendly jabs at each other. So, um, you know, it's, it's just great that, you know, these two have genuine chemistry and they feel like real people. Unfortunately, though, there's not really much else to talk about with this book. So uh, we're going to now jump into the Easter egg section where we explore some of this book's connections to other pieces of Star Wars media. So uh, to begin, it's revealed early in the book that Han Solo and Chewbacca have stepped away from the rebellion at this point, as it's revealed that they apparently lost the reward money they got in A New Hope, and they thus have to find a way to get more money to pay off Han's debt to Jabba the Hutt. It doesn't necessarily reveal how they lost their money. They apparently lost it to pirates in the Legends continuity. But later on, we see in the Han Solo Marvel Comics miniseries that Han is at attempting to obtain more money before opting to join the Rebellion, lining up to where he is at the beginning of The Empire Strikes Back. When Luke reports to the Rebel fleet for his next mission, the fleet is in orbit of the planet or Ordo Plutonia, a planet that is said to have been largely forgotten since the Clone Wars. This ice planet first appeared in the 15th episode of Season 1 of the Clone Wars animated series Trespass, revolving around Obi-Wan and Anakin attempting to resolve an internal conflict between the planet and its nearby moon. During Luke's mission to Rhodia, several pieces of Rhodian culture are established, including the Chatsa and Chico clans, the, Bet the Betu continent, and several indigenous creatures. The Chatsa clan was first established in a short story revolving around Rito in the Tales from the Mos Eisley Cantina Legends novel, and the, and the Cheku clan's Beto continent and indigenous creatures were all first established in West End Games' book, A Brief Visit to Rhodia, as a guide for, to a Star Wars role-playing game. Similarly, at one point, Luke ventures into the Lonic system, specifically into the Lonic Spice Run, where he has a brief run-in with a fleet of Star Destroyers commanded by Moff Abram Balfour. This planetary system, Spice Run, and Imperial Officer were also established in another West End Games book. During Luke's mission, he briefly discusses the Jedi with one of the natives, during which the Rodian recalls Obi-Wan once visiting Rodia to save a Force-sensitive Rodian child back during the Clone Wars. 
This mission is the main plot of episode three of season two of the Clone Wars animated series, Children of the Force, where Obi-Wan, Anakin, and Ahsoka travel to multiple worlds to save Force-sensitive babies from the clutches of the bounty hunter Cad Bane. That's about all it for the uh, connections, although I'm pretty sure there are others, but those are ones that I personally spotted. But anyway, to kind of sum it up, overall, Heir to the Jedi is a good but not great book. It has a very clumsily put-together story, but in all fairness, I don't feel like it really needs to have this big big galaxy-threatening plot, because at the end of the day, the main focus is Luke and his growth with the Force. It's actually kind of, you know, it's actually pretty much said at the very beginning of this book, because in in the acknowledgement sections, Kevin Hearn had this to write at the, at the beginning. Quote, when the Empire Strikes Back first came out in 1980, and I saw Luke summon his lightsaber to his hand in the Wampa Cave, I remember thinking, quote, whoa, awesome, unquote. And then, after I had seen it maybe ten more times, I wondered, quote, where do you learn how to do that, unquote. My nine-year-old self never suspected that one day I'd get the chance to provide the answer, and I'm grateful to Del Rey and Lucasfilm for making it happen, unquote. That quote seems to perfectly define the sole purpose of this book, showing Luke's growth in the Force from only just learning about it and having a, and barely having a basic understanding of it in A New Hope, to being able to at least call his lightsaber to his hand at the very beginning of The Empire Strikes Back before undergoing any advanced training with Yoda. And this book, at least in my opinion, perfectly narrates that growth. And that's why, while this book may have some serious issues, when it's good, it's really good. And for that, I'm going to give this book an overall grade of a C+. And... I won't necessarily put it on my must-read list, but if you are a Luke Skywalker fan, I can at least recommend that you can check it that you should check it out at least once. With that said, that wraps up uh, everything I wanted to say about the uh, about Hair to the Jedi. I thank you guys so much for taking the time to listen uh, to this. Uh, if you're watching this on YouTube, please leave a comment down below with any book you would like for me to read. Uh, you know, and check out. If I've already read it, then I will definitely prioritize uh, doing a review for that. Uh, Also want to give a shout out to all those who listen to us on iTunes and Spotify. We love all of you guys because you guys make it possible for us to review this material. I will see you guys next time when I review another Star Wars novel. Once again, I thank you guys so much for taking the time to listen to this review, and I will see you guys next time. But until the time comes... We will see you guys later. We love you, and may the Force be with you.